Welcome to the teaching ministry of Reverend JFK Mensah, a seasoned Bible teacher with over 40 years of ministry experience. He is a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, and an international conference speaker. He is passionate about making Christ-like disciples worldwide. JFK Mensah is the General Overseer of Great Commission Church International. May you be transformed as you listen to the Word of God. Father, thank you for this opportunity to speak to your daughters and to discuss this all-important topic of commanding our household. Lord, we pray that this session will make a permanent impact on our ladies and the homes you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to handle the topic under three big headings. Number one, the biblical importance of commanding your household. Number two, what commanding your household entails. Number three, best practices, challenges, and solutions. So let's talk. I like your theme verse, Genesis 18, verse 19. It came out of a most important conversation between God and Abraham. And God said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that he himself is the one through whom I'm going to bless all the nations of the world? Because I know him and I'm trusting him to command his household and his children after him so that they will keep the way of the Lord and his commandments to make possible the blessing I have decided to put upon him and his generations after him. So the first reason why parental responsibility before God is critical is because our homes present God, the church, and society with the character and lifestyles for the next generation. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Children are wet cement. And the kind of parental responsibility and upbringing we give them determines what they become when they grow. All the research is still pointing to the home as the greatest contribution to human character. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, Paul commands parents to bring up their children in the nature and admonition of the Lord. Children only turn out finally to be what the home they come from has been able to stamp upon them. Number two, the children you produce, the household you bring up is responsible for whether or not the family promises 
and the calling God has given your family, whether or not they will turn out eventually the way God has given his promise. There are too many examples in the Bible. All the kings of Israel and Judah in particular can be traced to one house, the house of David. All the priests can be traced to one house, the house of Aaron. God has a calling on every home. He raises up homes to produce kings, to produce leaders. Look at the people who led Israel out of Egypt. Moses, Aaron, Miriam. They were siblings from the same house. A household is important because it carries God's call and God's promises. The promises are made good or destroyed because of the kinds of children produced in the home. Number three, the New Testament declares in no uncertain terms that nobody can be an elder in the church, can be a bishop or the wife of a deacon if there is no clear proof that they have raised up children who are well behaved and have commanded their home properly. In First Timothy chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 and in Titus chapter 1 verse 5 all the way to verse 7, the Bible says that the qualification for an elder or bishop or church leadership should include how well you command your children. The homes we have, the way we parent determines how we handle Christian leadership in the church. Number four reason why commanding your household is important is because it can attract family cases that last for generations to come. The classic case of Eli in First Samuel chapter 1 to chapter 3 is the most frightening example of careless upbringing of your children. God told Eli in First Samuel chapter 2 verse 30 and 35 that you love your children more than me and those who honor me I will honor but those who despise me will be lightly esteemed and that because he did not restrain his children enough but left them to be misbehaving in his house, he was cursing the whole household. There will be no old person in that house for generations to come. That he was removing from them the blessing he put upon the priesthood. They will beg for bread and they will see death as a result of the misbehavior of his children. And four of them died the same day. Ophni, Phinehas, they died with the ark of God. And when the message was brought home, Eli himself, when he heard that the ark of God was taken, he fell down and died. And his daughter-in-law was with child and she delivered prematurely Ichabod and died. Not only that, Samuel's children, even though Samuel lived in the house of Eli and saw the misbehavior 
of Eli's children, Hannah was a praying mother. She prayed through and Samuel came out as a man of integrity, a leader of Israel in excellence. Mm -hmm. But Samuel's children were so bad that in First Samuel chapter 8 from verse 1 to 3, the whole Israel rose up and said, we want a king because your children are corrupt. And Samuel warned them and said, God doesn't like what you are doing. And they said, it's all right. We prefer to have a king rather than to be led by your children. So Samuel's children were so bad that God's rule, direct rule, theocracy of Israel stopped and they demanded a king. Let's jump to the children of David. In fact, even though the Bible praises David in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, that he has found a man after his own heart, a better than King Saul, David was a poor father, and David did not command his household. We are told in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6, that David never told his son, Adonijah, what are you doing? He never rebuked him in his whole life. Here is a son whom the father never rebuked, never disciplined. And of course, David's children are still a disgrace on the pages of the Bible. Amnon raped his sister Tamar in Second Samuel chapter 13. Then Absalom, because their father did nothing to punish Amnon. Absalom, who was the brother of Tamar, he got up and killed Amnon and escaped. David's household was a mess and they are still in the pages of scripture to prove the point. Well, I can only add two more. But if you command your household to discipline and train them, they give you peace in your old age. The Bible in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, and chapter 29, verse 15, tells us that if you discipline your children, they will give you peace in their old age. So it is in your own interest to raise up your children to please the Lord. If you raise up a God-fearing family, you do the church a great service because you give to the church Christian leaders of character. You give us pastors, you give us elders, you give us pastors' wives, you give us leaders of women's ministries and men's ministries who come from godly homes and for whom the fear of God has been put in such a way that they live forever with now. I would also add that the greatest idea, vision, image of God that children have comes from their father and their mother. Allow me now to move on and talk about what commanding your household entails. We have five children. They should have been six. We lost one when she was six years old and we had one miscarriage. Yeah. We have five children who are alive now and raising them up in a Christian home has not been easy. This is our 41st year 
in marriage and the grace of God has been with us. What does commanding your household entail? Number one, teaching the Bible, the word of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, the Bible commands us that this book of the law should be in our hearts and we should talk about it when we lie down, when we sit at home, when we walk on the street. We should tie our hands and our foreheads. We should write the law on our walls. We should teach our children and our children's children. This means that commanding your household involves putting the Bible center stage at the home. The same thing is said in the Deuteronomy 11, verse 19, 18 and 19. Number two, loving the child enough for bonding. Christian love in the home is critical because the children of Christians need to understand the love of God. And it means bonding with the child. In his wisdom, God grants that every human child born is carried nine months in the womb. Well, with exception to the test tube babies. But even that, uh, in vitro, still transplants the baby in the womb of a mother. It is because God wants to ensure that there is a bonding between mother and child. And no other animal in creation nurses the baby as human beings do. It takes 18 years of children living in their parents' homes before they begin to scatter. On the average, and these days, children even stay until they finish their first degree, sometimes masters. They are still at home. Goats, sheep, cats, donkeys, monkeys, they don't have even one year with their children. God intentionally makes us keep our children so that we can impact them. We can write on their consciences godliness. We can build into them what God wants pass on to the next generation. So getting involved in the life of the child brings about a bonding which is a lifetime experience. These days, because of the internet, because of television, because of um, iPhone and you name it, sometimes we relegate the responsibility of commanding our households to the schools, to nurseries, to house helps. And at the end of the day, your child has moral value determined by the house help more than by you, the mother. Number three, disciplining the child. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 1 to 5 tells us that God is a disciplinarian. In Hebrews chapter 12 from 5 to 12, the scripture explains that any child who has not been disciplined is a bastard. And verse 10 says that God disciplines us so that we can be partakers of his holiness. In this 21st century, you need to be tough. 
to discipline your children. You need to be somebody who has a conscience, who has a conviction to be able to pass on godliness to your children. Commanding your household involves representing God before them. It means setting the right examples, walking your talk as a Christian before the children, day and night, 24-7, all year round. I want to use the rest of my time talking about the best practices, challenges, and solutions. Number one is the goal of Christian parents. Animals parent so that a lion will grow up to be a lion. Human beings were created in the image and likeness of God. That's Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And the Christian home, Romans 8, 29 says that those whom God foreknew, he predestined that they should be conformed to the image of his son so that Jesus will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Galatians 4, 19 Paul says, my little children in whom I travail till Christ be formed in you. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, we all with unveiled or open faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being changed into the same image from one degree of glory to another by the Spirit. First John chapter 3 verse 1 to 3 says, Beloved, see what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. His children we are. We do not know what we shall be exactly, but we know that when we see Jesus, we shall be like him. And anyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. First Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ. First John chapter 2, verse 6. Anyone who says he abides in Christ should walk as Jesus walked. The goal of Christian parenting is to bring up children who resemble Jesus more and more until we meet him. Christ likeness is the definite goal of Christian parenting. Doesn't matter what church you go to. Doesn't matter what tribe you belong. It doesn't matter what nationality you are of. Once you are a Christian, your goal for raising children, for parenting, must be that the children should become like Jesus. Now, if you fix this goal and fix it well in your heart and put it before the minds of the children and walk your talk, heaven will help you. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I will live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if you can keep that goal throughout your parenting, you've got it. Number two, best practice is the family altar, the personal altar, and the couple's altar. When we say couple's altar, we mean you and your husband must find time to pray together each day 
I cannot remember the number of occasions when I didn't pray with my wife before sleeping. And I dreamt, or sometimes it was my wife, or we had a vision that our front door was open. On one occasion, it was so real, I got up from bed, went and checked, and the door was locked. And when I came back, the Holy Spirit ministered to me that you did not pray before sleeping. Two days ago, my wife was sleeping before I entered. And when I came in, I sat praying and she woke up. And when we prayed together, then she had a vision and she saw that our front door was being padlocked. And she said, oh, what's the meaning of this? And I said, God is just reminding us that when you got up and we prayed, now spiritually we have locked the door. That is the couple's altar. Then there is the family altar. The family altar involves the children and the household. What we do is we do one hour prayer in the mornings and then we read a chapter of the Bible. And in the evening, we share our day. We read another chapter of the Bible and just pray a little and we disband. That we call the family altar. It is different from the personal altar, your personal quiet time. Now, my testimony here, I will share, is that we were doing this when we were in the Volta region in Bokwe, pastoring there. Then we came to Accra, the capital, and our children had to go to school much earlier. So by the time we finished our family altar, they were constantly late to school. And the teachers would send them back home and say, what were you doing? Go and tell your father and your parents that uh, they can continue with you uh, uh, reading the Bible and praying. It was a tough moment because my wife looked at me and I had to take the decision. My decision was this. We shall continue the family altar no matter what it costs them in their education. I am pleased to announce to you that as I speak, all our five children have gone to the university. Each of them has at least a master's and two of them got a first class in the university, even with the family altar. Satan only frightens us trying to make it look like if we spend time on God, the rest of the world is passing us by. It's wrong. It is God who controls time. Well, parental example, I have already mentioned it. You can never trade that for anything else. When you make a mistake, you need to settle it with the children. They are reading the Bible with you. They can see the flaws because of the scripture. Then set up a moral code. Set up a moral code in the home. Things you want to see the kids do and things you don't want them to do. To say please before they ask for something. To say thank you when they are given a gift. I mean, you you have to write down these things and work with them. Set up a punishment and a reward system. When it's like that, when you punish them, they know that it is on the script. When you reward, none of the children will feel it is nepotism. Because you have set up a punishment and reward system. Remember, each child is unique. And they have their own gifts and calling. Romans eleven twenty nine says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Ephesians two ten says we are God's workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has given us to walk in. What are the challenges? You know them already. Number one, time, quality time. It's so difficult to find time for the kids, to find time for the children. And the solution is make time. What I do is I go almost everywhere with my wife and we pack the kids into the car and my wife's grandmother lived with us for 20 years. So just make sure that you find time and make time, quality time. Sometimes you are going somewhere, you don't need to go alone. You can pick one of the kids and take them along and talk to them. Some of these conversations, they remember for the rest of their lives. Number two is the challenge of your parenting strategy. When the kids are zero to 12, the way to handle them is different from when they are 13 to 19. And when they are 20 to 30, the way to handle them should be different. So you use the command method when they are younger because they don't understand too much. But as they grow and understand, you need to explain a lot of things to them. This is the reason the Bible reading is critical because it gives you opportunity to talk about sex. It gives you opportunity to talk about rape. It gives you opportunity to talk about honor your father and mother. It gives you opportunity to talk about death and all. So your parenting method is critical. And the challenge number three is the media, the social media. Last time I saw one boy, he was barely, I don't think that boy was 11 or 12 years old. And he would jump into the air, somersault in the air, and then land on his feet. So I stopped and asked him, who taught you this? He said, I am self-taught. And I said, what do you mean? Didn't you learn it from a video or from the net? He said, partially, but I'm self-taught. So in the bedroom, on the phone, at school, on the way to, you name it, the television, the iPad, the internet, the websites, they are feeding our children competing with us in parenting the children. They are introducing ideas into the minds of the kids that parents have no idea. Then number four, the governments. Our governments and institutions are trying to interfere with parenting. They are trying to tell us, don't cane your children, don't spank them. They are trying to say sex education should be at school at this age. And the, the religious instruction should be there. And it is a challenge. The greatest solution I have is prayer. Till today, my wife and I pray for each of our children by name daily. Some are even 38 years old, but we still pray for them and their children every single day. Prayer works. It worked for Hannah. It worked for Abraham. It worked for Job. Prayer works. If you pray for your children, God is able to reveal to you certain things about their lives that you have no way of knowing. Then involvement with the children, getting to know them, discipling them. Don't wait for your school, your church to lead your child to Christ. You yourself lead the child to Christ. Teach the child assurance of salvation. Raise up the child. Disciple the child. It is in your own interest 
if you don't know how to make disciples, to learn how to make disciples so that you can disciple your children. How do you consciously control your children's association? Uh, that's a wonderful question. Your children's association, it is by bonding with the children. When they see you as their friend, then they can converse with you. And when you ask them, who is your best friend at school? Next time I drop you at school, introduce me to your best friend. Or come and tell mommy about your best friend. Then they speak. Now, it is not only their best friend. They will tell you those who offended them at school. They will tell you uh, what happened which left an impact on them. Because they, they are young and these things make an impression on them. So by keeping up a conversation with them, they can even begin to tell you their dreams. So please, the solution is to get closer to the children as you take them to school, as you bring them back from school. Whenever you are in the kitchen and they get close to you, let the conversation go into their personal lives. Which of your teachers do you like the most? And you can answer a lot of the questions there. I like what child evangelist teachers, they say, as you bath your daughter, give her sex education. Tell her that any time anybody touches your private part, come and tell mommy. So when they go to school and anybody plays with their private part, they come back and say, mommy, mommy. But if you don't have such a bonding with them, you don't converse with them, you don't talk to them about these things, a lot of friends will influence them and you have no idea. Thank you. Thank you so much, Daddy. Um, there's another question in the chat. It says that, how do you decide with your spouse on a parenting style since you were brought up different? Great question there too. The best time to decide your parenting style is during the time of courtship and honeymoon. You need to decide that before the children begin to come and move the parenting style into the biblical one rather than just what your parents taught you. Because each side would like to say, well, for me, this is how my parents did it. And the other will say, yes, this is how my parents did it. So move it into the biblical and with that, you can win the day. And if in anything you are otherwise minded, the Holy Spirit will point out the wisdom to you. So please, those of you who are not yet married, during the time of courtship and the honeymoon, press your husband and come out with the parenting style you are using. And 
My suggestion is uh, Ephesians 6, 4. Bring them up in the nature and admonition of the Lord. Please, there's another question. It says, when is the best time to actually teach your children about boy-girl attraction, sex, homosexuality, etc.? Do you wait until you notice they know about it or right when they start school? Okay, I have three suggestions from what we used. Number one is start early. Start early. Start before they get corrupted. Because when they are corrupted and you are teaching them the truth, it takes time for them to to believe you and assimilate it. So start early. Two, start with the Bible stories. Diana was raped in Genesis chapter 34. Use it to explain what rape is. And uh, one of our kids said, Adam knew Eve. So what is the meaning of Adam knew Eve? And they had children, uh, Cain and Abel. How do you know a person? And that means it's time to begin your sex education. And because our times are becoming so evil, you need to clearly demarcate LGBTQIA+, all these things which are wrong. You need to quickly begin to, to bring them in, but prayerfully hear it so that it doesn't arouse their curiosity to go and start experimenting. So... This is why you have to do it prayerfully. But start early, use Bible, and warn about the evil ones, and talk about what is right, what is scriptural, what is biblical. Thank you. Thank you so much. There's another question here which says that, what can parents do if they attend different churches? Where should the child attend church? Okay. The statistics says up to 91 or even some people say 97% of the family goes to church when daddy goes to church. But 49% of the family goes to church when mommy alone goes to church. So, my honest suggestion is to settle the church issue before marriage or during the honeymoon. It is better to decide that both of you will go to the same church if you are in the same city or town so that the children are not divided in their mind. But if your spouse is adamant that because of her parents, uh, 
this is the church I was brought in, and so I will keep going to that church. And the husband or one person says, no, I wasn't brought up in that church, so I will also go here. Uh, it's a difficult situation, but my decision is that the most biblical church should be where the children go to. Um, I know it's sensitive, but for example, if your husband is a Jehovah Witness and the wife is in Assemblies of God, Assemblies of God is more biblically oriented than Jehovah Witness. So the children should follow their mother to Assemblies of God. But let's say your wife is a mormon and the man goes to Church of Pentecost or Baptist. Then the more biblical church and the healthier church for the children is that they should go to Assemblies of God or Pentecost rather than following their mother to the Mormon church. So always choose the more biblical church for the children to go to if both parents cannot go to the same biblical church. Thank you. Thank you so much once again, Daddy. Another person says, please, how do you choose the more biblical church? Because it looks like everyone believes in his or her church as biblical. Okay, uh, this looks a difficult thing to say, but only dead goats don't know another dead goat. Living goats know which goat is dead. So we have churches we call dead churches. Then we have churches we call biblical churches. When we say a church is biblical, we mean the pastor is born again. He knows Jesus as Lord and personal Savior. We mean that they stress salvation Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior. We mean that they highlight the Bible and obedience to the Bible and submission to the Holy Spirit. When we say church is a biblical church, it's a good church, we evaluate the church by the major Bible doctrines, what they teach about God, the Trinity, about Jesus Christ and his resurrection, about the Holy Spirit and the uh, fellowship with him, about the fall of man. And so these are doctrinal issues that once you are born again and you, you know what it means to live for Jesus, you should be able to identify that this church, when I go, the way they pray, the types of, the sermons that come from there, when I compare it to the sermons that come from this pulpit, the pulpit here is more on fire and godly than the other pulpit. If you don't know the difference, then you yourself have a problem. The pulpit and the, the, the messages that come should make you know whether one church is on fire and more godly, biblical or not. Because you are reading your own Bible, you see that some of the things they say and in your church, uh, this one is not very biblical, but this one is. That, that That is critical because if you, the mother of the house, you don't know which church is the more godly, 
then it's going to be difficult to settle the quarrel between you and your spouse. You should be able to listen, you know, go to your husband's church, listen to the pulpit and what messages are coming out. Come to your own church, listen to your pastors and what they are preaching, compare the two. Then you can know, you can know that, no, 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 the kind of Bible passages, the presence of the Holy Spirit in this church is different from the other one. Unless you are so biased that you don't want to be objective. But apart from that, you should be able to know. Yes, sometimes it is the same church, assemblies of God, assemblies of God. But when you listen to the messages from one and then the message from the other one, you come back home knowing that your soul has been fed, your spirit has been stirred up, and a hunger and thirst for more of God has entered you as a result of listening to one sermon compared to the other one. So that's how we know. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the desire in our ladies and mothers and sisters to take up responsibility for commanding their homes to fear the Lord. Lord, I pray for every one of them on this platform, those listening in, Father, give us Christian homes. Give us godly homes. Give us homes where the fear of God is ruling. Give us homes where the Bible is at the center. Give us homes where Jesus Christ is the model. Give us homes where the Christian life is lived. Give us homes that produce our presidents and our ministers of state. Give us homes that that finish the task of world evangelism. Give us homes that produce children, men and women of integrity. Give us homes where our mothers and fathers can rest. Because they have joy as a result of the kids you have raised through. I pray, Lord, that through these, our ladies, you can change not only Ghana and Africa, but the whole world. Give us homes that produce Moses, homes that produce Jesus, homes that produce John the Baptist, homes that produce Paul. Give us Christian homes in Jesus' name. Amen. Follow JFK Mensa Ministries on Facebook and YouTube and invite others to listen to his podcast. You can also access some of JFK Mensa's books and keep up with his ministry at www.jfkmensaministries.org. God bless you.